Hello, and welcome to another instalment of The Weird Chronicles. Each episode, we bring you tales of action and adventure from Malifaux and the other side. Malifaux's industrial zone is a cold, inhuman place. Much of the work is done by machines and automata. But, as today's story shows, love can flourish even in the most inimical of environments. I hope you enjoy The Tin Man. The Tin Man by Graham Stevenson Ada McQuinna had always loved to work with her hands. Even as a child she had appreciated the feel of things, the texture of wood, the heft of steel, the sheen of brass. Ada's father had been a watchmaker, and there was nowhere she had felt more at home than in his workshop, submerged in the scent of light oil and brass polish, listening to the ticks of a thousand timepieces, and the comfortable silence of her father, hunched over a square of velvet cloth with tweezers in one hand and an eyepiece in the other. The precision-made instrument was something to be appreciated. Ada found endless fascination in the microcosm of clockworks found in even the most commonplace of watches, in the perfect union of two cogs, neither of which measured more than a few tenths of an inch apiece yet critical to the regulation of a mechanism that could count time and do it with such precision that, properly wound, the owner would not lose so much as a second in the course of an entire year. She had secretly carried a hope that she would one day inherit her father's industry and considered herself a most diligent student, but her elder brother proved to be the more respectable choice in a world that was still years from recognising a woman's right to vote. Ada lingered at the workshop, even after her father had retired, reluctant to leave the comfort of those memories behind. Her brother found her work to do, but it was rarely more than winding the standing clocks and greeting the customers as they came through the door. She was as skilled as he, but would never be his equal in the eyes of society. And so she left McQuinna Watchmakers, established 1812, and struck out to find her own path. There were precious few jobs for a woman anywhere that did not involve either a broom or wash basin, and in her quest to find something worthy of her skills, she travelled all the way to Malifaux. She had heard that skill was prized above gender there, and where many a curious technical wonder was to be found. Before very long, she had come to the austere Bartholomew and Dane Technical Plant Corporation, who provided a number of quite exemplary machines for tasks such as metalwork, logging and the ever-expanding railroad. Her background in watchmaking quickly buttonholed her as an ideal technician for one of the smallest and yet most complex machines that the company manufactured and maintained, the Bartholomew and Dane Sheet Metal Polyfunction Contrivance. This fully self-operating and self-locomotive device was capable of bending, curling, decambering, perforating, rolling and stamping sheet steel for the manufacture of boilers and piston housings, cabinets and a hundred other uses. The power unit was the only component that was not manufactured by Bartholomew and Dane, and thus the only component she was not certified to repair, and there were persistent rumours 
that C. Hoffman was subcontracted to produce them. They supposedly contained soul stones, curious manifestations that she had never encountered before, but possessed of a very great and dynamic current that provided animation to a whole raft of innovations produced by the corporation. Ada quickly became a dab hand with the intricacies of the polyfunction device, or tin basher, as it was known within the engineer pool, and was soon promoted to roving technician, tasked with the maintenance and servicing of each of the nine tin bashers that operated within the Malifaux city limit, in accordance with the lifetime service guarantee of the reputable Bartholomew and Dane. Ada enjoyed her work, travelling the city and making regular checkups on her lads, as she liked to call them. Being complex machines and still relatively untried technology, they were prone to miscalibration and minor faults, and for the first few months of her new job, Ada was kept busy, travelling almost constantly from one factory to the next. As weaknesses were identified and eliminated, and the design of the machines improved, failings became less common, and Ada began to spend more time back at corporate headquarters, where daily inspections became weekly, and weekly services became monthly. There was still work to be done, but Ada found the spaces between jobs increasingly unbearable. She liked nothing more than to work on a mechanism, to dismantle and degrease, to tighten bolts and test levers and measure clearances, to silence squeaks and rebalance rods, to return every joint and lever to humming, flawless perfection. She loved the precision and the economy of the polyfunction's design, the understanding of mechanical fundaments evident in its shape. To the uneducated, it probably didn't look much more than a clanking mechanical figure carrying sheets of metal that were wrangled into complex shapes with a multitude of arms, but to Ada, it was a marvel. The autonomy of it was a ceaseless delight to her. Although mute, the polyfunction could respond to voice commands and was capable of carrying out complicated instructions. It also had a template function where it would replicate any given shape. This proved to be a very popular option, where Bartholomew and Dane would commission a metal worker to manufacture a single item, and the polyfunction would then churn out hundreds or thousands of replicas, each an exact match to the original. Unquestionably, her favourite tin basher to work on was Barney, the property of Mitchie Steelworks, deep in the heart of the industrial zone. They manufacture steam pistons and other essential components that kept the railroads on the move. Working in direct competition with the Steamfitters Union meant that the small company had to fight hard to scrape out a small niche in the market, and so they ran Barney 24 hours a day. Barney needed maintenance twice as often as any of the other tin bashers. Calibration was a constant worry when high-pressure containers were being built, and Mitchie Steelworks could not afford a reputation-damaging explosion when they undercut the Steamfitters' prices at such a narrow margin. Ada visited Barney on Mondays and Thursdays, when the workshop manager allowed an hour or so for his major joints to be cleaned and oiled, and for the resetting of anything that may have started to work itself loose. The constant toil took its toll on the machine, and Barney was more dented and oil-smeared than all the other tin bashers put together. Ada could almost sense the palpable relief in the machine when she arrived with her toolbox and oil can. It would regard her with those soft, glowing orange lenses it used for measuring the steel, mildly lifting an appendage or rotating its thorax joint, as instructed while she checked for stress fractures and hydraulic leaks. 
she often found herself talking to Barney, chattering about everything and nothing, as much for her own amusement as the machine's peace of mind. And then one of the Mitchie workshop boys appeared breathless at Bartholomew and Dane headquarters, panting that Barney was making the most awful grinding noise and that she'd better come quick. When Ada got to the workshop, Barney was standing with a half-finished steel piston held in two of his rolling limbs, but the lifting arm on his left-hand side was hanging crooked and was making a loud, scraping sound. She immediately feared the worst, that a bolt had sheared, or there was a fracture in the chassis. When she got close enough for a good look, to her surprise she found that someone had removed the main load-bearing screw in his left shoulder to loosen the socket joint. The screw itself was sitting on the counter a short distance away, as though placed there carefully not to lose it. Can you fix it? asked the workshop manager anxiously. Although there were many other steelworkers employed by the Mitchie Steelworks, Barney's ferocious production speed was key to keeping the company afloat. I should think so, Ada said, debating on whether or not to tell the manager about this petty sabotage. She had encountered less sophisticated incarnations of the same at some of the other factories that had purchased polyfunctions. The tradesmen obviously viewed this incumbent technology as a threat to their job security, and sometimes took it into their own hands to secure their future. Just an alignment problem. Nothing serious. The workshop manager looked greatly relieved and bustled off, leaving her to surreptitiously replace the screw and make a show of checking the arm's rotational axes. Barney complied docilely, rotating the repaired arm and watching her with his amber eyes. There you go, Barney, she said. Good as new. She did a quick once-over, but everything else seemed in perfect working order, so she reported the fault repaired to the workshop manager and headed back to headquarters, wondering whether she should report the sabotage to her own boss. In the end, she decided against it. Customer staffing disputes were not a matter that Bartholomew and Dane could be expected to resolve. So long as she kept the tin bashers working, the rest was someone else's responsibility. Early February rolled on. There was no more snow, but the wind was still biting cold, and Ada longed for the warm summer months when she could work without needing to blow on her hands every few minutes. Another Mitchie boy arrived at Bartholomew and Dane a few days later, saying that the workshop manager had asked for her personally. Barney had broken down again. This time, she found Barney slumped over with all six arms hanging limp, while his head rotated back and forward, measuring and re-measuring the length of steel on the bench in front of him. While the manager floated around her nervously, she opened his abdominal hatch and squirmed underneath to check the damage. His main drive belt had been uncoupled, not snapped or cut through, just unscrewed and pulled off the drive wheel. There was no damage of any sort, merely a partial dismantling. Is it bad? asked the manager. How much is this going to cost? I have 300 casings that need to be shipped by 9am tomorrow. It's fine, Ada replied from within the torso. Ten minutes and he'll be up and running again. The manager groaned with relief, wiping his fleshy brow with a kerchief. That machine is going to give me a heart attack. Ada waited until he had gone, then hooked the drive belt back into place. It ratcheted briefly until the cog teeth bit and then hummed up to speed. 
Immediately, Barney righted himself and rotated all six arms into their reset positions, and his head rotated around to regard her. Ada took a look around the workshop. There were at least a dozen other men working in this room alone, and none of them showed any particular interest in what she was doing. Removing the screw was a fairly obvious way to dislocate the shoulder joint, but opening the casing and removing the drive belt? Ada wondered if any of the men here had sufficient knowledge of Barney's architecture to know how to do that. And why such a gentle sabotage? Why not slice through the hydraulic cables or bend a piston? There were 15-ton locomotive boilers suspended overhead on cranes. Why not drop one of them on the machine and crush it flat? Six months ago, a machinist in Grant and Spey Industries had taken a nine-pound sledgehammer and stove in the head of Archie their polyfunction when the machinist was told he was being laid off at the end of the month. Whoever was doing this knew that Barney was necessary for the survival of the company and obviously wasn't prepared to seriously damage him. Instead, they were doing just enough to put him out of commission for a while, enough to have a technician called out, or more specifically, have her called out. She took another look around the workshop. There were a few nods of recognition, but nothing more. Ada would not have called herself beautiful, but she was conscious that she possessed a modest, handsome quality. Perhaps her ears were more prominent than she'd have liked, and sometimes she looked down at her large, long-fingered hands with oil under her fingernails and wondered what being petite would feel like. But her skin was smooth and sprinkled with freckles, and she'd been told more than once that she had a pretty smile. Was it possible that someone in the workshop had taken rather a shine to her? Perhaps sabotaging Barney was just an excuse to keep her coming back here. She snorted, dismissing the idea. If that was the case, they'd had ample time to speak to her, and she was already contracted to come twice a week. This thought didn't occur to her again, until the Friday of that week, when she was called back once again to Mitchie Steelworks to find that one of Barney's manipulator claws had fallen off. She checked the wrist attachment and found no shearing or buckling. The four fixing bolts were simply missing. As it turned out, they were neatly stacked on the bench beside the machine. Trying not to smile, Ada began to root around under the bench. There were a lot of offcuts and other industrial detritus down there, but eventually she found the claw mostly buried in shrapnel, right in the corner where it had fallen. When she pulled it out, the claw was gripping something. A flower. A delicate steel flower had been cut out of one-tenth inch tin, complete with a twisted stem and five tiny spot-welded petals, each the size of her pinky fingernail. It was the sort of thing that a craftsman might fashion in his lunch break to take home to his beloved wife or daughter. Ada realised that she was blushing. She had to be the recipient, the person that was sabotaging Barney was the same person that intended her to have this gift. She stole another glance around, but no one was looking her way. Whoever had done this was keeping quiet about it. Looks like I've got a secret admirer, Barney, she whispered to him as she reattached the manipulator claw. Boy, I wish you could talk, so you could tell me which one of these jokers is pulling my leg. Barney just watched her with his orange eyes, and when his claw was securely in place, he went back to work. If Ada hadn't mentioned the curious nature of Barney's developing faults, she certainly wasn't going to say anything about the flower. She just reported a loose coupling to the worried-looking man. 
This machine of yours seems to be breaking down a lot, he complained. I am, of course, grateful for the company's diligent attention, but surely it isn't normal to have so many faults in the space of a week. You are working him 24 hours a day, sir, she responded, and none of these faults have been serious. Not for Bartholomew and Dane, certainly, said the workshop manager, somewhat airily, and stalked off. It was Monday morning, first thing, when two workshop urchins appeared at headquarters again, their faces as red as cherries. They had clearly run the whole way under impetus of the workshop manager. That infernal machine of yours is broken again, he ranted as soon as Ada arrived a half hour later. And look at the time. I'm 50 cases short and the delivery is already an hour overdue. The reputation of Mitchie Steelworks is on the brink of destruction. Ada felt this was rather melodramatic, but she presented an appearance of outward concern, while inside her heart was bumping. Had her mysterious admirer performed another secret sabotage on Barney to have her back again so soon? Was he watching her right now? Trying to look calm and collected, she went to inspect the polyfunction. Barney was partially frozen, evidently in the act of shaping one of the desperately needed cases that were now needed to fulfil the order. Every few seconds he would rotate away from his workbench to deposit the case, pause halfway with an odd strained whirring sound, then turn back to try again. As far as she could tell, he'd been doing that all weekend. Pack these up! Pack these all up! The workshop manager was shouting. We'll take across everything we have, and the rest will just have to be delivered when they're ready. At this, he turned savagely on Ada. Fix this thing, and if we receive a late delivery penalty on this contract, I'll be expecting your company to pay for it. He rushed away, still shouting orders. Ada watched him go with a shake of her head. Foolish man. Well, let's have a look at you, Barney, she said gently taking the half-formed case from his arms and setting it down. He stopped trying to rotate his abdomen and waited with an almost expectant air as she began to open his chest plate. You got something in there jamming your gears, I think. She swung the hatch door open and immediately saw the problem. A wad of oily cloth had been shoved into a cavity in the upper right-hand side of Barney's chest and a corner of the cloth had become snagged in Barney's central axis cog, which allowed him to rotate his upper body free of the lower. What is this? she wondered aloud. The wad of cloth turned out to be wrapping something heavy, but it took several hard yanks to rip it free because it had become tightly snared in Barney's inner workings. She unwrapped the cloth and found a chunk of steel about the size of a baseball that had been milled into the shape of a love heart. The steel had been polished with wire wool until it shone brilliantly, and in a scrolling, precise script had been engraved with, You've stolen my heart. Ada almost laughed, and looked around at the workers nearby with an expectant grin. Someone had to be winding her up with this. It was corny, but also kind of cute. She hoped the guy that was doing it wasn't married. There were about a dozen steel workers in the workshop all clattering and banging various pieces of metal and shouting ribald jokes at one another. But not one of them betrayed the barely contained sense of expectation she had hoped to see. None were even looking in her direction. This was such an odd situation. Someone was deliberately doing this, sabotaging Barney again and again to the increasing distraction of the workshop manager, 
attempting a curious form of absent seduction, she thought, but making no effort to contact her when she was actually there. Perhaps he was painfully shy and couldn't work up the courage to speak to her. She watched the brawny, oily men shouting and laughing. None of them looked particularly shy to her, nor did any of them look the type to make a metal flower. There were other areas within the factory she knew, although this was the only workshop she attended because this was where Barney was located. Perhaps there was a steel worker in another area that watched her come and go from afar. She thought for a moment, hefting the steel heart. It was beautifully constructed, exactly symmetrical and totally smooth to the touch. She could see hundreds of tiny striations in the metal where it had been milled over and over to perfect the shape. It must have taken hours to make. She wrapped the heart again in the oily cloth to protect it and put it in her tool bag, then removed a scrap of grease paper and scribbled on it with a pencil. Who are you? Before she could think it through, she shoved the scrap inside Barney's casing where she'd found the heart and closed the hatch, her face pink with exhilaration. Okay, Barney, she whispered as she collected her things. Maybe between us we'll figure out who's doing this. She patted the machine's flank and headed off to find the workshop manager, surreptitiously checking out all the steel workers as she went, wondering if they were the one. All that evening she twisted and turned the situation in her mind. It had to be one of the steel workers. None of the administrative staff had the skill to make the object she'd found, and it certainly wasn't the workshop manager, thankfully, or any of the workshop boys that swept the place up and delivered messages. But why wouldn't he talk to her? It was charming and sweet, but it was dangerous too. If Barney kept developing faults, no matter how insignificant, that blustering manager was going to get her into hot water with her own boss for not doing her job properly. None of the other polyfunctions had required half as many call-outs as Barney, and only she knew they were deliberate sabotages and not machine faults. She wondered if she'd have to come clean and tell the workshop manager what was really going on and then her secret admirer would be dragged into the light of day and probably fired. She sighed miserably. There had to be another solution. If only she could find it. Tuesday was Barney's scheduled maintenance day, and Ada made sure she was there for the steelworks opening. She wanted to get to Barney before anyone could see if he'd developed another fault. However, she found him working away, rolling steel into pipes and stacking them in a rusty metal crate, evidently in perfect working order. She immediately felt both relieved that the workshop manager had nothing fresh to accuse her of, and crestfallen that her secret admirer had not responded to her note. Or had he? Morning, Barney, she said, acting for all the world like it was a normal day while she scanned the workbenches nearby for signs of her admirer's handiwork. Barney submitted for his service and inspection, as he always did, obligingly rotating his joints this way and that, and leaning accommodatingly so that Ada could reach those awkward spots with her oil can, and always with that same placid air of benevolence, his warm eyes on her as she worked. She always checked the tension on the drive chains and oiled them too, but this morning she was reticent to open the body cavity. What if there had been no reply to her message, or worse, the message was still in there unread? Finally, she told herself she was being stupid and popped open the hatch. There was a small wad of cloth tucked in the corner, but carefully folded this time so no loose edges would snag Barney's gears.
Ada swallowed, heart fluttering. She looked about guiltily, but as with every other day, no one was giving the technician a second glance. She lifted out the package and unfolded it with trembling hands. It was another heart, but this time made of a flat steel panel with scalloped edging. On it was engraved, Be My Valentine. Ada realised with a start that it was February 11th. Valentine's Day was in three days. Oh, Barney, she whispered, holding the heart and staring down at it. What should I do? I don't even know who's leaving these things. Barney said nothing, but his orange eyes seemed to be saying what she was thinking. What have you got to lose? With her pulse roaring in her ears, Ada took another scrap of paper, hovered indecisively over it for an eternity, then scrawled, Okay. She stuffed the paper into Barney's chest cavity and slammed it shut with rather more force than she'd intended, then rattled about with artificial industry, stuffing away her tools while she wondered what she'd gotten herself into. The rest of Tuesday slowed to an agonising crawl, and Wednesday simply refused to budge at all. Thursday, Barney's next scheduled visit seemed a thousand years away, and Ada wondered if it would ever arrive. She would even have accepted Barney developing another fault and the wrath of the workshop manager if it meant she could check for another message from her secret admirer. Her head was full of nonsense about who it might be, what he might look like and what he might say when they finally met. She wondered if she would recognise him immediately or if it would be someone who had admired her from the shadows. It was all so romantic and strange. Things like this didn't happen to girls like her. And finally, eventually, Thursday morning arrived, and Ada fought with all her strength to resist showing up at the steelworks at dawn. She forced herself to stroll in at ten o'clock, as though it was just any other day, and her hopes weren't hanging by a thread. The workshop manager was once again in an uproar, but for once Barney had nothing to do with it. Well, how should I know where it's gone? He was howling, his fat face puce. If you sign for sixty sheets of one-eighth steel, then I'd expect you to have sixty sheets of one-eighth steel. Why are you asking me why you are now ten sheets short, eh? Is that my problem? Ada tiptoed past the ranting manager and the pale-faced foreman, wincing at the manager's accusation that the loss would be coming out of the foreman's pay packet unless he could find the sheets that he had misplaced, or perhaps he was just incapable of counting past fifty, and on to the warehouse. Barney was there, working away as usual, shaping and cutting panels and stacking the metal templates in a corner. As soon as he noticed Ada, he stopped what he was doing and walked over to his workbench, very much in the manner that a dog hovers by the front door when it sees its master approaching with the leash. Morning, Barney, Ada said, hoping her faithful message carrier had something new for her. You've had a quiet couple of days? I expect you're pleased that our mutual friend has stopped unscrewing bits of you to get my attention. Barney watched her with his orange eyes, betraying nothing. Fine, she giggled. Keep your secrets. If you don't want to tell me who it is, I'll just have to find out for myself. She had waited an impossibly long two days to get a reply, and made no pretense of going through her normal servicing ritual. She couldn't have waited another second if her life depended on it. Barney seemed to sense her urgency and stood quietly, arms at his side, while she opened the chest hatch, chewing her lip. And there it was, 
a little wad of oily cloth stuffed right at the back of the casing. She drew it out reverentially, surprised at how important this had become to her. When she opened it, she found another flat heart shape cut out of steel and on it was engraved, Tomorrow night at eight o'clock, by the loading gate. Please be there. Ada's pulse was rushing in her ears, turning the harsh clatter of the workshop to an absent rumble. He wanted to meet. Tomorrow night, Valentine's night. The rest of the day vanished in a cloud. She couldn't remember anything else she did. She wasn't even certain that she had attended to Barney's maintenance and not simply wandered out the workshop door with a stupid, dreamy smile on her face. She was going to meet him. Finally, she was going to be face to face with her secret admirer, who had approached her in such a subtle and thoughtful way. She didn't really care if he turned out to be handsome or not, although, of course, if he was good-looking, that could only be considered a bonus, but felt certain that he was a good man. She pondered all of Friday on what she was going to wear, agonising over two different dresses, of which she did not own many. She scrubbed and scrubbed and scrubbed at her nails, but the oil marks were too deeply ingrained, and so she eventually resolved to wear a pair of soft moleskin gloves she had purchased in the autumn for winter social events, and had yet to wear. Her brown hair was often rebellious, and that day was no exception, but she managed to fight it to a draw whereupon it relented into being windswept and interesting, as opposed to recently survived an explosion. At length she was ready, and hurried through the dark and frosty streets of Malifaux's industrial sector, almost completely deserted now that the furnaces were cooling and the workmen had all gone home. The gaslit shape of Mitchie's steelworks hove into view, and as Ada approached, her eyes scanned eagerly for sign of a presence standing by the loading gate. And sure enough, a man was standing by the door in a long coat and top hat, holding what might have been a bunch of silver flowers. Ada's breathing quickened, as did her pace. At the sound of her feet, the man turned and straightened when he saw her. Goodness, she thought excitedly, he's tall. She stopped a short distance away, a huge, nervous grin on her face. Good evening, she said, trying to take everything in at once. The man was tall and broad at the shoulders, although the brim of his top hat threw his face into shadow from the gaslight overhead. She did not recognise him. Are you my valentine? The man reached up with a gloved hand and touched his hat in response and handed Ada the bouquet. It was surprisingly heavy and it took Ada a moment in the poor light to realise that the roses were metal, each one painstakingly crafted by hand to make a bouquet of twelve perfect flowers. They are so beautiful, she said. You have such skill. I've always admired the ability to make something from nothing. My father was a watchmaker, you see, so I suppose it's in my blood. She realised she was gabbling, but it was partly nervousness and partly to fill the silence. Her valentine was awfully quiet. May I know your name? She asked, hoping to coax a few words from her bashful admirer. Instead, her valentine removed his top hat with a flourish, letting the illumination from overhead flood his face. He was handsome, she registered immediately, with a strong, straight nose and well-shaped cheekbones and jaw. His lips were raised with the hint of a smile, 
and there was a thick crop of wavy hair covering his head. And it was steel. It was all steel. His face, his hair, everything. Her valentine was made out of metal. Two soft amber eyes watched her from behind the mask. That's it for another episode of The Weird Chronicles. Join us next time for more tales of action and adventure.